0: Hey, and welcome to the Badger Talks podcast, the podcast that shares interviews with experts from the University of Wisconsin-Madison community about their work, programs, and research, and what they're like as people, too. I'm your host, Ben Rush. Listening to this podcast will also give you a sneak peek of an upcoming longer talk by each guest. Our guest today, Jake Dean, and his colleague, Greg DeCroix, will give a talk called Supply Chain Disruptions During the Pandemic Times. A link to the virtual talk, as well as past and upcoming talks, is in the show notes. For now, let's dive into the interview with Jake Dean. Hey, Jake, thanks for joining me on the Badger Talks podcast. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. How are you?
0: I'm doing good. I am pretty stoked to have you here. You have a topic, as we've chatted a little bit before, we've actually recorded, that is very high demand right yeah, now. Something
1: that nobody knew about, uh, I feel like, a year, a year, year and a half ago, and now everybody seems to know about, at least sort of.
0: The hot topic, supply chains. Before we dive into that, just the basics, can you share your name and pronouns you use, please?
1: Sure. Uh, Jake Dean, and uh, I use the he, him, his pronouns. Fantastic.
0: And if people were to bump into you on the street, what might you look like?
1: Uh, I'm six feet tall and of very average build. Um, My my mother is Italian and my dad is Irish, and I look like my mother's side. Gotcha.
0: Gotcha. Any identities you'd like to highlight about yourself?
1: Um, I am a husband I am a dual citizen of both the United States and Canada I grew up in Canada and um, immigrated to the United States a number of years ago Um, just became a citizen actually two years ago right before everything everything went crazy in January of 2020 Um, so yeah those are two identities I would have
0: well we've I feel like teased the listeners many times already that you are here talking about supply chains can you share what you do on UW-Madison's campus
1: Yeah, so, uh, I mean, my official title, the boring title is Director of the Granger Center for Supply Chain Management. But what that really means is I design and deliver and support uh, all the supply chain programs here at the University of Wisconsin, uh, specifically in the business school. So uh, an undergraduate major and then two graduate programs, uh, a one-year MS and a two-year full-time MBA in supply chain. I teach in um, and support all of those programs.
0: You have been in this position, if I'm if I'm correct, about five years.
1: Yes, I'm in my sixth year. Everything I'm doing this year, I will have done some version of six times.
0: And I feel like you you came in at an interesting time. Like you've probably had two or three years under your belt. Everything was going okay. Then the pandemic happened, and then like we were saying, now every no know, everyone knows about supply chains. How did your life change as as supply chains were disrupted? Your probably day-to-day was also a bit disrupted.
1: Uh, Certainly. I mean, I was teaching uh, two years ago now uh, where I remember telling everybody um, as spring break was about to start that they should bring their laptop and anything that they thought they might need for school with them wherever they were going for spring break because I might not be seeing them on campus for a while. And a few days after that, that was when the first announcement that campus was closing. And I I think the first announcement is that we were going to be back sometime in April. And that didn't happen. So, um, from a, a teaching perspective, I and uh, along with everybody else who was teaching both here at UW and across the world, essentially, had to learn very quickly how to adapt our curriculum for um, an online audience, and at that point, an online-only audience. The you know the end of that academic year was was just entirely online. So, figuring out what worked, figuring out what didn't work, trying to keep people's attention um, was um, w- was a challenge. So that was that was difficult, and at the same time. I, like everybody else, as as were the students, were just craving some connection outside of our house, outside of my office, like my home office and just my house in general. And trying to um, remain optimistic with that was, you know, it was tough. So, and when you're teaching
0: students um, either remotely or in person about supply chain management, are there a few key takeaways you want students to leave a class with?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's been a really interesting time to be teaching supply chain because it's so much in the news. Uh, It, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, it wasn't really, I think people at that point were more focused on what is this crazy virus? And are are we all going to die? And will there be an economy tomorrow when I wake up? Um, And the answer to that economy piece is clearly yes, there will still be and in many cases, a stronger one than uh, than when we started. Um, so it was interesting through the course of the pandemic earlier on talking about, okay, the, the the president's going to invoke the Defense Production Act, which means that car companies might be having to make ventilators because that is uh, you know something that we really needed early on in the pandemic. Um, so an earlier supply chain challenge, then focusing on, okay, the economy is back in many different sectors and not in some other ones. So how do supply chains respond to that? Uh, moving through to now where it seems like name your product and there is a shortage of it somewhere. You know, why is that going on? How do you trace that back through how supply chains are designed and how they've worked historically and, and trying to explain to people why that's happening? So there's been quite an evolution in uh, supply chain in the um, that I've been able to bring into the classroom based on what's been going on with the with the pandemic.
0: Hmm. And as you mentioned at the top, too, like you've been out and about telling others about supply chain. So what kind of media outlets have you been going to to teach people about supply chains?
1: Uh, let's see. I've been on uh, PBS Wisconsin. I was on WPR. Uh, I've been on WTMJ in Milwaukee a couple of times. I've been in the Wisconsin State Journal, Uh, which has been really fun for me because nobody ever called me before to ask if I would be on, uh, you know, on all these media sources and, uh, you know, certainly made my parents and family quite proud. But one thing I do want to make clear when I'm in those, you know, talking to the media or talking to my classroom is that there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in supply chains these days. And there are a lot of high profile shortages and uh, nearly everybody can think of something that they couldn't get that they wanted. But I, I think we don't wanna lose sight of the fact that um, there is a lot of stuff that we could still get. And when you go into the grocery store, when you go into a Target or wherever, most of those store shelves are, are still full. And behind the scenes, there's chaos. Like when I talk to people who are running supply chains, leading supply chains, the things that they are doing to make sure that there is still stuff that we want to buy in the face of tremendous uncertainty are crazy. And those things are invisible to most consumers who are just focused on, well, I can't get this or, you know, my parents have been waiting on a new dryer for 10 months or something. And, you know, there's some high profile stuff that's not great, but overall things aren't as bad, I think as, as we might want to believe that they are, or might be led to believe that they are. And
0: it also reminds me of Milton Friedman's pencil analogy. If I'm,
1: I don't know that one, but
0: I think this was an argument for why countries that trade together will not go to war with one another. Hmm. I've also felt this was a great example of just the interconnectedness of supply chains and uh, growers, producers, every you know whoever could be within a supply chain. but he essentially argues that no one knows how to make a pencil um entirely, that the graphite, the wood, the rubber, the paint. Everything that goes into making a pencil is individual people with their own individual skills that somehow come together.
1: Yeah, that's a supply chain. That's a nice analogy. I might steal that from my next uh, Introduction to Supply Chain class that I teach.
0: Are there things that you um, hope the public takes away from all your rounds in the media?
1: Well, I think I said the first one that it's not really that for as, the, as consumers. Overall, it's not. That bad, and there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that regular consumers are, you know, appropriately not aware of. That, that companies are doing to be able to make sure that a lot of stuff is still in stock. Then now there are some other things um, that are high-profile cases, and I guess what I would want people to understand is there's a there's a good reason for that, which is essentially that if you think about things that. Make up the global supply chain, which are factories, which are uh, transportation, which are distribution. There's not a huge amount of excess capacity built into that system, um, and for good reason, right? Because capacity costs money, and if since the dawn of modern business, if you had you were able to forecast overall capacity. To be a certain level, you certainly want to have some so you can flex up, but do you want to have some to flex up 20% if you've only ever gone up by 5% maybe? Um, And so, and the analogy I've used before is, uh, you know, the average family that has two parents and two kids is probably not going to buy a six bedroom house. Why would you pay for all the, that extra house that you don't need? There's maintenance costs, there's certainly purchase costs. So similarly in supply chain and business, there isn't all this excess capacity that is needed right now to push all this stuff through the system that for different reasons, which we can get into, people have decided that they need. Um, Because no one knows for sure if that is going to, if we're going to need that capacity over the long term. So uh, that decisions that companies make to invest in capacity to be able to put more stuff through the pipe, so to speak, um, those aren't taken lightly. And, and that's part of the reason we're in the situation we're in now. Right. And I I think
0: there's a fancy term, but essentially, from what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, a lot of companies will have, like you were saying, just enough to match the demand of what's being ordered um, and not go over the hill.
1: Of not maybe of- just enough, but maybe just enough plus a buffer percentage, right? Mm-hmm. But the buffer's gone, <laughs> right and and so, um, what companies have been able to rely on in the past is if um maybe they need some extra capacity, there's someone else out there that doesn't, and so they can steal something, and overall the the equation still works. We're in a situation right now where there is no excess capacity in any supply chain system anywhere, essentially, and so there's nowhere to go if you if you need more. there's no you know back to my house analogy, there's no more guest rooms to turn into bedrooms. There's no more bathrooms to, to wash people like that. We've used everything we could have done to work within the system that we have is full. And the the, the question is now, how long is this going to last? Is it going to, you know, do we need the same level? Are we going to see the same level of demand and, and demand on our capacity for the duration? And therefore we should make investments to increase it or, is this going to be temporary and therefore we're just going to have to do what we can and push everything through and then hope to come out at some point on the other side
0: anything else you'd like to mention about the granger center
1: one thing i really like about the granger center is we strongly connect supply chain to marketing which um can be a bit of a head scratcher essentially especially now when people just hear supply chain issues and um, just thinking about the execution part of the supply chain and the delivery and manufacturing part of a supply chain. But if you think about a supply chain design and what a supply chain does, which is essentially make sure customers get the product that they want, the marketing organization of a company decides what those products are and who their customers are, and what needs they have and what needs they're trying to fulfill by whatever product or service that, that they're delivering. Well, it's up to supply chain to deliver that product or service at a place, in a time, in a quantity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that those customers want. And so if the supply chain organization is not well-connected to the market organization or the business as a whole to try to figure out what the business is actually in business to do, um, you're not going to have a successful business there because you could be totally totally different metrics than, you know, supply chain could be trying to deliver a very low cost where. The market organization could be delivering very high levels of, of service or product quality or something. So if those two things aren't connected, you're not going to have a great supply chain. And so back to the Granger Center, we were founded 30 years ago at this point, which is crazy to think of, on this intersection between operations and marketing or supply chain and marketing, and that y- you have to have those things linked to be successful. And so that's in all of our courses. It's, it's our philosophy for teaching supply chain, which I'm really proud of and, and happy that we uh, can continue to do that
0: can totally see why that's such an important connection my last question for you after if you if you can turn off the brain for supply chain analysis after work what do you like to do to relax
1: i enjoy spending some time in the kitchen cooking trying new things um you know know, i'm really good at like a sunday afternoon meal kind of thing where you spend all day what putting things into a pot and, and getting something out at the end so i like doing that um reading going for bike rides traveling and I was gonna say seeing my family—it's been tough over the last couple of years because they're, um, you know, as I said, they're in Canada and um, there were some restrictions on getting in and out of there for a while that uh, were challenging. So I'm looking forward to a a more spending more time with them as this uh, situation eases.
0: Yeah, well, good. I hope we get to see them soon enough.
1: I mean, I have. I just, you know, I spent two weeks quarantining in my brother's attic for um, in the summer of 2020, because that's what the government said I had to do. And I just don't have to. I don't want to do that again.
0: That makes sense. That makes sense. With that, thank you for being on the Badger Talks podcast. You're welcome, Ben. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Badger Talks podcast. The Badger Talks podcast is a creation by the University of Wisconsin-Madison and Deeper Than Data Media. Music composed by Bill Purdy and played by the University of Wisconsin Madison Marching Band. The podcast is recorded, edited, and produced by Duper the Data Media. The podcast is recorded, edited, and produced by Dupe by Duper the Data.